to some dear friends of ours, Rob and Candy Taylor. And I just love this couple. Rob is the um, state youth and discipleship director for the Church of God in Eastern Carolina. And his wife, Candy, uh, does girls' ministries throughout our state as well. And they're an incredible team that just love people. They love the church, and they've been great friends of ours. And I've wanted Candy to come speak for a long time. When I called her, I saw her this week. I was like, look, I, I want you to come. I, I, I don't want you to feel like your second choice, okay, because I've been trying to get you for a long time. Uh, so I'm really glad that she's able to be here. What I love about Candy is just her sweet spirit, and she's funny. She's just, she's funny. She's hilarious. And and I, I don't read many people's social media posts. I'll be honest. I just kind of scroll. But there's a couple of people that I just always stop and see what they have to say. And Candy's one of those people because she's just always got some great insight and some good laughs. In fact, I've got to be honest. You guys know I like to pick on people who wear Crocs. Look around the room if they're here. We, we honor you today. And... And uh, I have this little joke that I will say, don't judge a mile until you walk, don't judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes, unless he's wearing Crocs, judge him immediately. You know, so I say that, I got to be honest, I got that from Candy, I just stole it right from her, I took it right off her Facebook feed, um, and, and I made it my own. But she's here today, she's going to bring the word of God, would you just welcome them, she's going to come after this next video clip, but would you welcome them now, thank you so much for being with us today. Candy did a fantastic job in our first service. She's going to teach you something today. Like literally, I walked away going, didn't know that, didn't know that. I learned a lot. You're going to learn a lot. But first of all, folks, your attention right here. We're glad you're here. Yes, I do. Would you like to share? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm 15. 17 at heart. Uh <laughs> oh, boy. She is um, older than me. <laughs> I do. She's 29. My mom. 30. Messages. She's texting a lot. She likes Instagram, Twitter, if she can figure it out. Probably Facebook. Mm. Facebook. It's the Facebook app. Facebook. Candy Crush. And then, and then she's and then she starts ranting. <laughs> she's never mad. I'm joking. <laughs> she doesn't get mad. She just gets disappointed. I don't have ever seen her mad. That's maybe not exactly true. A uh, person when you steal their food. You like what she look like? think she would sleep because she gets really tired during the day because she has to take care of like a whole bunch of kids every day. I think she'd like to just have me and all my bros together in one place and hang out. To finish her sentences. I don't, she doesn't forget anything. Well that's good. She forgets to put stamps on the mail sometimes and so they leave it in the mailbox. <laughs> what time things are sometimes. Like, she's like, what time is this again? My name. <laughs> my mom forgets my name. My mom named me Anthony, but she calls me Anthe. She cares for me and she loves me. And she takes all the bad stuff out of my heart. Um, she helps me clean up my toys. Mami, te amo bastante y eres la señora más 
hermosa que yo conozco y la quiero tanto. Por medio de usted yo voy a ser una gran mujer un día. Nomás le quiero dar bastantes gracias y decirle que le quiero, la quiero y la amo bastante. I get it now. Everything that we do in ministry and everything that we do in life is an extension of the legacy that you um, have given to us. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for raising me and making me who I am today. Happy Mother's Day. You are the strongest woman I know, and I just want to be like you when I grow up. Um, happy Mother's Day, and I love you so much. I love you, Mommy. Anthony Harold, you get in here right now. That's <laughs> pretty much how she would sound. Uh, it is my delight to be here with you today. Um, I honor your pastor and his family. They are some of my favorite people in the whole wide United States of North Carolina. And the whole world, I do love them. And um, we love Ben and Emily and have really appreciated getting to know them and their leadership. And I have met some incredible fabulous people this morning. Would you look at your neighbor and say, I am that fabulous person. You are. You are that fabulous person. Um, I want to honor my husband this morning. He drove me uh, here. He woke me up. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of our relationship. Every morning, Rob gets up, usually around six. He goes in and fixes a bowl of cereal, sustains his body, goes and finds the word of God, prays, then he fixes a cup of coffee, gets a little ADHD pill, brings it in sweetly, says, Candy, it's time to wake up, and hands me coffee, which makes a human, and gives me a pill to calm me down. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? And everybody's like, oh, so sweet. No, he has to get substance for himself. It's like a gladiator preparing. Seek God, be with him to get the strength to wake up the giant, you know? <laughs> but I am thankful for him and I, I do honor him. Uh, he's the man that stole my heart many years ago and, and there has never been another. And um, I do appreciate you, Rob. I appreciate your gifts. I appreciate that cup of coffee. And um, Folks, he forgot my calm down pill, so we're in for a treat. We don't know what's going to happen. I just looked at him. I said, you give that to me? He said, no. I'm like, oh, buddy, it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. But um, the Mother's Day is a time set aside to honor our mothers. But um, we live this, this wonderful roller coaster called life. And there are some of us that I have two friends that this week had to, to bury their mothers. And so when others are celebrating, they find themselves with mixed emotions. Um, there are others. I have a friend who is mourning, and quite frankly, she did not attend church today because it's hard for her. She longs to have children and has not come to that point in her life. And for that, I don't judge. Pain is real. Pain is very real. And, and I don't want to discount that at all today. But I do want to encourage us. I want to encourage us as the body of Christ. We do celebrate the life that God's given us. But we mourn. And I'm so thankful that as the body of Christ, we get to practice that scripture. We've rejoiced and we've celebrated and we've thanked God for mothers. But I also thank you for honoring those who wanted to, to put a little light in the world. To say, I have, I have pain. I watched some of you light those candles with such seriousness. And I want to encourage us that we mourn not with people that this is the end of the world, 
we mourn with hope. Christ is the one that restores relationships. So if you're out of relationship with a child because of a choice or a parent or whatever that is, Christ restores relationships. If you're like Hannah and you've begged God in your prayer time and your personal time for a child, I want to encourage you, you are birthing prophets through your prayers. She had a very real adversary who poked at her. Those things the enemy tells you, that is him speaking. And even if you look in that story, her husband tried to comfort her, but there were no words to comfort her. But God hears your prayer. And then there are women like Anna who never know what it's like, but she's holding the revival. She's holding the Messiah in her hands at the temple that day because through her singleness, she remained faithful, and she brought, through her prayers, salvation into the world, and God let her see that. So don't just mourn and be sad. Mourn with hope. Mourn knowing that this is not all there is. You don't know where God's taking you through your prayers and through your pain. It's through pain that he brought salvation to the world. I don't understand how it works. It just works. Can we pray for those that are mourning today and ask God to give them hope? Lord, we thank you for your word that is true. It's faithful. It's forever settled. God, some emotions are upset and, and hurt this morning, but God, I thank you that there is hope in you. I thank you that we can practice hope, that we can take a moment to say I'm hurting. I remember I'm in loss. But God, I also thank you that we can celebrate with those who are rejoicing that through various interventions or through the circle of life have been able to, to see the fulfillment of your promise. But God, I thank you that no matter what our circumstance is, you are a real and a true God. I thank you that this morning you're going to use me to deliver a word, God. I'm so humbled. I pray that you would be blessed in all that we do here together. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple pictures that I'd like for them to put up just so that you're looking at me and I'm looking at you. But I'm going to tell you what, you are my people. You're not the early morning people. I don't even talk to anybody until 10 a.m. It's just me. Now, Rob gets up early. He seeks God in the morning. I got him at night, but that's the way we are. And so I'm, I just um, wanted to show you on the far side top picture, that's me when Rob and I met that was actually our engagement picture a long time ago you can tell the era because the hair and the shoulder pads are bigger than anything else um you know they, they were telling mothers ages I'll tell you my age I am 29 and beside of that is a picture of my mom Kathy and I love my mom she's she's so much fun she's a great person and I look like her um, so when Rob saw me and he saw my mom, he knew what I was going to look like however many years from now. Every 18 years, he gets a snapshot of what I'm going to be like. Um, but my mom is a social worker. Um, she worked for social services. She was um, head of, um, she was a supervisor for something, and for the life of me, I can't remember. But um, she was good at it. And she's since retired, and now every summer, my mom and dad come down and work three weeks of youth camp with us, and we laugh and cut up and have a good time. But as a social worker, when I'd come home from school and I'd say, Mom, so-and-so has been mean to me today, my mom would say, well, you don't know what background he comes from. You don't know what his family life is like. 
And so because of that training, when my children come home and they say so-and-so was mean to me, I'm like, I need a name, an address, and an alibi, okay? <laughs> you tell daddy to get the bail money. We're going to handle this. But that's my mom. She works Kids Fest with us. They work youth camp. They will not work senior adult with us. We do a senior adult retreat, and I'm like, Mom, come help us. Nope. I like to forget that I'm old. I need to be around young people. Um, under her, and my picture is um, that tall, handsome fellow right there with that beautiful young girl just um, attached to him, um, <laughs> is my son, Jordan. I'll tell you something funny about my mom. My mom makes these beautiful cards, and I've thought of a whole industry off of them. They're beautiful. They're handmade. My dad said they cost about $500 a piece because that's how much he spent on the material to make them. But she makes these beautiful cards, and last year for Jordan's birthday, she saw a picture that he and Alex had taken together, and my mom thought it was an engagement picture. So she sent this very passive-aggressive card. She looks beautiful. I take it she said, yes, happy birthday. It wasn't an engagement picture. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, that's great. You could do this really beautiful card and then open it up and say, I thought I'd like you, but I don't. You know, just these passive-aggressive texts. But Jordan is our second born. Jordan is very, very much like me. Um, for that, he and I um, often butt heads, but we have the best time. We are rule breakers. We think rules are suggestions. We go out of the country and smuggle things in through um, Evan's backpack just because we can to see if we can do it. Um, we've done it a couple times. And Jordan has graduated from Lee with a business degree, and he has, whoo, glory, he has a job. He lives on his own, hallelujah. For that, I've been praying. I built the nurse, uh, nursing center, the nursing school at Lee University. I just ride by and throw my checkbook at him, say, there you go, pay everybody. That was me. But at Lee University, he met this lovely young lady named Alex, and we have grown to love her. And today, I'm blessed. I text Alex's mother and said, happy Mother's Day. And Jordan texted me. He said, after church, we're going to Anna's. I said, you honor her. You be there with Anna this morning and honor Alex's mom because there's nowhere else I'd want you to be today but to be with that family and, and loving them. So he's, he's the gift that I'm giving to somebody else. Whoo, glory. <laughs> and you can, you can see in the larger picture, and it's, it's my firstborn. He's Evan, and um, Evan is 25, and Evan is the opposite of, of Jordan and myself. He's like his daddy. And um, for that, I love Evan. I appreciate that. And um, there are things in Evan that are like his daddy that I just double honor because to see that perpetuate over time is, is a blessing. And then there are things in Evan that are like his daddy that I don't like. And I'm especially mad because I thought my DNA would get in there and fix it. And it didn't. It's a little more stubborn than what I actually thought. So there you go. But Evan is single. I am taking applications. Um, he is an airline pilot for American Airlines. Here's the good part about it, girls. You get to miss him. He's gone three to four days every week. Um, then when he's coming home, you get free airline tickets to go anywhere in the world. It could work. That could really, really work. I'm seeing a great marriage relationship there. Little dude's making money, too. And so, um, but he is, he's a great guy. I told him, I said, for, for Mother's Day, I want some of those cookies they served me on the airline. And I got a whole case of them. I got a, and he paid for them. He didn't steal them either. Cha-ching, we're winning them. We got them right. Um, I will tell you how I got these boys out of my house. 
from the time Rob and I were married until we were youth pastors and then we had children. The first time we ever went to a theme park without children was two years ago. And we just sat and laughed at people. We laughed at youth group pastors. We laughed at, at parents. We, we laughed at everybody because it wasn't us. It was the most fun we've ever had. Um, but, you know, boys are expensive. They eat a lot. And so I sat down with them last Christmas and I said, boys, I'm going to tell you a Bible story. And they said, okay, mama. And I said, sweetie, there's a man in the Bible named jo- Job, J-O-B, Job. Job had these boys and these boys would not get a job. They sat around, they ate Job's food, they spent all Job's money, they kept inviting people over to Job's house, having parties, and God said, Job, are you happy? And Job said, no, I'm not happy, this is costing me money. God said, I'll kill him. (laughs) And he did. And Job was sad, and God said, don't worry about it, Job, I'm going to give you some kids that'll work. And Job walked right out of that valley, and he praised the Lord, and everybody's he's happily ever after. So both my boys went out and got Jobs. (laughs) They have some messed up theology, but they have jobs. (laughs) And so, um, you know, we all have our moments as, as people of making bad decisions. That was one point, but it worked. I needed it too, and it worked. We can look at other mothers in the Bible. We got Eve. She's the first mother in the Bible. Guess what Eve's claim to fame is the first mother in the Bible is? She brought sin into the world. Yes, folks. That's her claim to fame. She brought sin into the world. There was nobody to blame for bad decisions except for Eve. I can blame Rob. Eve could only blame herself. Then you have Sarah who laughed in the face of God and then lied to him. I've never done that, thankfully. And you got Mary walking home from church one day. She looks around and she has left Jesus, the son of God, The one thing God asks you to do, and you leave him. It's kind of bad. But what that shows us is that no matter what we do in life, God is able to salvage our mistakes and make something great out of them. Now, I can identify with Mary. Jordan was not the son of God. He might like to think that he is, but he's not. But I've left him at church a couple times. The first time was by mistake, but then I found out that our children's pastor would take him home and feed him. So we started running out to the car before Jordan could catch up with us and worked for a couple. Then he got big enough to drive. But um, that's my family. That's where I come from. You know who to pray for when you pray now, right? Them, my mom, and Rob. But I want to share with you this morning how the Lord uses the example of motherhood to teach us about the story of Christ, God used all throughout history all this imagery to help us to learn about salvation and the power of it. And sometimes we go so fast through the Bible reading it that we might miss it. And I want to share that story with you and how God uses an unlikely mother to teach that to us. So if you'll just hold on and pretend that you're paying attention, this will be over real soon, I promise. We're going to go to the next slide if you don't mind. And um, I want to share with you the scripture out of Isaiah 41, 14. It says, do not be afraid, you warm Jacob, little Israel. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And when my pastor read that scripture, and I've read it many times, but it was one Sunday I was sitting in church just like you, and he read it, and I went, oh, no, foul. I call foul, Lord. 
I don't get this, and you're going to have to explain this to me, because I remember in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that you said, I am no longer going to call you Jacob, which means, oh, tricky one. I'm going to call you Israel, which means prince. But Lord, in Isaiah, you come back and you call him wormy, tricky one. I've got a problem. If if you're going to do that to Jacob, you've promised to keep my sins away from me and to remember them no more, and you're remembering those of his. Bow! But then I got out my concordance, and I started looking in the Word of God, and I found something totally amazing, which is amazing in and of itself. And we're going to go over to um, Psalm 22, which is the scripture that Jesus quoted from the cross, and I want us to look at that as well, and we're going to pull this together, I promise. God said, uh, Jesus from the cross quoted Psalm 22, and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, in spite of all that I'm going through, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And we're going to go to verse 4 through 6. It says, in our ancestors. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. Jesus said from the cross, I am a worm. And I thought, wow. So I looked it up because when I think of worms, I think of nasty. I think of the baby ancestors to cobras. I think of those things that my brother would pull out of the the bait container and go, look, to watch me scream. They're slimy and they're gross and they're nasty. And so when I looked at Isaiah and he said, oh, worm Jacob, I thought he was insulting Jacob. But then I began to study, and I found in the Bible, there are only two words for worm in the Bible. The first word is rima, R-I-M-M-A-H. And that means the most disgusting word of all, maggot. Okay, when the Bible talks about worms and it's rima, it's maggots. And maggots and head lice both just make me itch and make my skin crawl. And, um, and then the other word is tola, T-O-A-L-A. And it's probably a better pronunciation, but I am back in the South among my people, and that's the way I talk, and that's what you get. But um, it's Tola. And so we're going to talk about Tola because that word Tola means crimson. It's the crimson worm that when collected is where the Israelites, when they first left Egypt, began to make their red dye. And we're going to look at where that red dye was used just for a minute. I wish there was like weeks that we could study this. You're, You're thankful that it's not. But in worship, where this crimson was used, it was used in the robe of the high priest. He was covered in this crimson to be able to honor God in his dedication. It was used as his belt to protect him and to to gird him. Crimson was used as the dye that was dyed on the wool that was tied to the scapegoat as that scapegoat was sent out and the sins were sent away from the camp. This crimson was the curtain used in the curtains and tapestries and it was included in the weaving of the holy of holy veil. This crimson 
This worm dye was used there. And here was one that was so significant. It was used for cleansing. So when they burned the red heifer on sacrifice and they mixed this crimson dye with it, they used it when somebody came in contact with a dead body because there was contamination and disease associated with it. And the priests would mix this together and use that to purify people. This crimson worm represented not only the protection, not only the authority, not only the veil to go into the presence of God, but it, 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 it symbolized purity and, and, and being claimed. So it's significant. And I want us to look at how she tells the story of Christ's sacrifice on the tree. And then when you, when you understand that and you understand that God used her so significantly. And I want to, before I lose this, because I have ADHD, elemental P, with a touch of QRS, special brand. Sometimes we get some XYZ thrown up in there, don't we, Rob? Just um, so back, if you look, let's see, right here, it says to you, our ancestors put their trust, they trusted you and you delivered them. When they left Israel, when the Israelites left Egypt, they didn't leave Israel then, they left Egypt. When they left Egypt and they went out into the wilderness, they needed a place to meet with God. So he brought about the, the tabernacle and system. And the, the curtain that covered the tabernacle was red. It was a curtain made out of crimson red and it was the first time that they had extracted this dye from this worm to, to make this curtain. And it's so significant when, when we go into it. And so when he says to you, our ancestors, they put their trust in you. That's what he's referring to, that curtain that covered the tabernacle and, and made it the dwelling place of God. So we're gonna go ahead to those pictures that I have here. This is not my family. Um, if you look in the, in the top corner right there, it looks like buds of flowers. But that's not what that is. That is the worm. That's the Tola worm. That is a worm that when she is ready to give birth, she takes and adheres herself to the tree permanently, never to come off again. Inside of her are all of these eggs that are ready to hatch for life. And the only way that she can birth life into the world is by being attached to the tree. That represents that the only way that Christ could bring us eternal life was through the sacrifice of his body on the cross. She willingly goes. Nobody takes her and picks her up and says, come on, worm, go to the tree. Her husband, the man that, that, that inseminated her, and I just got there, I didn't mean to, but the one, that, the one that caused her problems isn't there. He flies. We never see him. But guess what, chicks? He's not the one that men climb up trees to get so that he can make crimson die. It's only her. And she attaches herself to the tree and she gives birth and these babies are inside of her while she's alive. And they begin to eat her. And that's how they find their substance. That's how they begin to, to come into life more clearly and more, more fruit, I don't know, they, they, they begin to live. And so as they're beginning to live, they have to do that by consuming her. And what did Jesus tell his disciples in that upper room? If you want to be a part of my kingdom, you have to have communion with me. We have to have where, you are, where you're eating me. And we eat and we feast on the word of God because Jesus is the word. And John, it tells us. But the only way that we can partake into what God's doing in the kingdom is by partaking the sacrifice of Christ into us. And she is the example of that. And as her children are eating her and she finally succumbs to death, this beautiful red fluid 
and you can see that red fluid coming off the tree, it not only stains the tree, but it stains her children. For the rest of their lives, they will carry the crimson color of her sacrifice on them. And for that, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that because I went to the tree and I had the blood of Jesus applied in my life, God doesn't see Candy in all of her mistakes. And those mistakes are many. I cannot tell you how many times I'd look at my children and I'd say, Evan, that's what your big brother used to do. He'd say, Mama, I don't have a big brother. I said, not anymore. And I'd walk off. I've told them, I am full of God, full of the Holy Ghost. I will kill you and raise you from the dead to kill you one more time. Do you hear me? Children will make you say and do things you never thought you'd do. Yes, I get a testimony, a witness. They do. They do. They drive you crazy. I was a smart person. I was pretty calm too, but here we go. But there are so many things in my life, so many failures, so many shortcomings, so many times I've lost my temper and I've had to go and repent. And you know, when other people have held those things against me, God has never held them. I'll go and apologize for things that I've done and and maybe it's the 5,000th time I've apologized. And you know what God says? I see nothing but the blood. You've been to the tree, the blood's been applied and it is an eternal covering. Nothing, nothing, not, not death, nothing can separate me from the love of God because I have the crimson blood of Jesus applied to my life. Isn't that powerful? Nothing those little baby worms can do to wash that color off of them. There's nothing that a human being can do. When they have come into a relationship with Jesus, There is nothing that can separate them from the love of God. And God uses a worm to illustrate that to us. Then if you look, when that mama dies, it looks on that tree like cotton. It looks like cotton has formed on the tree and then it begins to disintegrate and fall from the tree to the ground like snow. Then I think of that scripture that says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them as white as the snow. Isn't it fabulous that, that not humanity, that biology, that creatures, that something as lowly as a worm, something so insignificant that people would walk by that tree and miss it, can tell the story of Jesus, can tell of his sacrifice and how powerful it is. Isn't it fabulous that that God allows a female to share the story? That her sacrifice was so significant that she was the one that made the representation of the holiness of God in the temple worship. I think of the scripture that says, in God there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter your background. You can come from generations of saved people or you can be the first in your family to be saved. And God has allowed you, like he allowed this worm, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people. You are someone's picture. You are someone's fulfillment of a need when you share Jesus. In Job chapter 25, verse six, Job's friends are sitting with Job and they're talking. And they say, you know, you, you must have done something. No, I didn't do anything. And in 
verse, in chapter 25, they get to the point and they're talking about man's insignificance. 25 verse six, they say, but what is man but a worm? And who is the son of man but a worm? And you think, well, maybe they had an issue or they didn't realize what they said or whatever. And you look it up in the concordance and it's two different words. The first worm is rima, which means maggot. What are we but a maggot? What's the son of man? He's the crimson worm. He's the tola. And all through the New Testament, the way that Jesus is described, he's described as the son of man. The son of man comes but to. He is the one that brings us that salvation. He's the one that brings us life. Here's the thing I want to leave with you as we are ending the service. I want to leave with you this point. They say when the Jewish men, the rabbis go out to extract her from the tree before she gives birth and she's crushed, they said it's the sweetest fragrance that comes out of her body, out of her being. When you get to know Christ and you're crushed and you react in such a way that glorifies him, it's the sweetest fragrance that comes out of you because it's Christ in you the hope of glory. Don't dishonor your trials. Don't, they hurt. They're real. They're legitimate. Don't ever let anybody tell you to get over it because if you could, you would. But what I challenge you to do, let us be the vessels that allow that sweet aroma of Christ to escape out of us. That when we are chosen by others and they crush us, that we will admit a fragrance and that we will admit the blood of Jesus so that others can know him. Isn't that what we're saved for so that others can know him?